0: Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. 2018 was the year we got our podcast game on lock. I think that what I appreciate about these interview podcasts, however, is our ability to take on some of the biggest names in independent film and balance them out with interviews with people who are just starting to get out their work, like the rest of us. Depending on what stage of your career you're at, you can learn as much from someone who's gotten two shorts into major festivals as you can from a director like Yorgos Lanthimos. It's in this realization where the No Film School podcast really shines. For that reason, we treat our guests with the same level of respect across all boards, no matter who they are or how prestigious their film may be. Let's face it. We're all filmmakers who have made or are trying to make movies under difficult circumstances. And one of the best ways to learn how to do that is by listening to the stories of those who have struggled through both success and failure. For a true artist, both experiences hold immense value. Our countdown this year features just as many big names as it does incredible advice. Over the next three weeks, you'll hear from the likes of Lanthimos, Jeremy Saulnier, Mike Lee, Steve Yoon, Deborah Granick, and more. I'll be leading you through some of our best clips of 2018, so if you haven't heard all of our interview podcasts, these episodes will be a great overview of those pearls of advice that may end up helping you down the road. But to start us off today, we have what, for me, felt like one of our most useful conversations on the show ever. From an episode titled, What a Festival Programmer Looks For in a Short Film, here is South by Southwest senior programmer Claudette Godfrey with an inside look at what could make or break your short's festival chances. So then what does it take to get, like, what do you look for to get in the South by Southwest? Are you allowed to tell me, like, what's on that grading Yeah, uh, I mean, it's actually
1: super simple. I mean, it's mostly, like, in the shades of gray of what people write. I mean, the form is, and that's why we look for people who, are able to articulate things in a very clear and not even verbose way, you know, Mm. um, where it's like, what's good about this? What's not good about this? And then why, or why does this not work for what we program? So you might watch a really amazing animated feature film. That's really great, but it's for kids five to nine. Mm. We don't have kids five to nine in our festival. So while that movie is great, you will still write that the fit is not a good fit for South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thing. And then the other stuff, so then we grade one to five, five being like the best thing you've ever fucking seen. There are a very few grades like that. And then one where it's like this is unshowable, mm-hmm. um, that type of kind of in between. So it is definitely in the gray area. It's sort of like if you have friends where you talk to them about films you love and you're like, oh, we are like understanding each other. We are on the same level and we agree. That's, that's kind of you know, the people we're looking for that jive with us because we do, um, even though we do have different specialties within our office and differing opinions, we still do kind of have a very cohesive idea of what the festival is, is programming and and what our kind of function is.
0: So then for shorts specifically, like, is there any, uh, is is there any criteria that would maybe help them stand out in a way versus the other shorts? How many shorts were uh, submitted this year?
1: Shorts was, I think, right at fifty six hundred, so five thousand six hundred, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, The total shorts program at the end of the day, even when you're counting music videos, the Texas high school, the VR projects, we were like right around one hundred and fifty, but forty of those are VR projects, you know, Mm -hmm. twenty of them are music videos, twenty of them are high school kids. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about the main like academy qualifying competition of the narrative shorts, the documentary shorts, and the animated shorts blocks. Between all of them, there's less than 40 movies. Mm. So it's a very small percentage. And then the bulk of those submissions are actually narrative shorts. So if you want to get into a film festival, make an animation. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, it's the hardest thing to do. But um, the narratives, this year we had 3,500 narrative shorts for basically like 20 slots.
0: Right. Was What was it about the narrative shorts this year uh, that did get selected? Do you think that... Uh, uh, made them make them unique I guess from previous years or something that you And vice versa, what's something about the Narrative Shorts this year that you see sort of uh, as a pattern for for uh, winners or those that are selected year and, and year and year over and over and over
1: again? Yeah, from year to year, it's definitely the subjects are different. Um, it's kind of like what's the zeitgeist of like what is kind of coming to the forefront. But I think most often when people kind of ask like, what are you looking for? It's like year to year, it's the same because some festivals do program around themes or certain ideas each year. We do not do that. Like what we're doing is looking for the stuff that like I'm sitting on a couch watching movies for twelve hours a day sometimes. I'm looking for the stuff that grabs my attention, is sucking me in, and like is emotionally engaging to me. Mm-hmm. Because if you can do that in five minutes, like that's amazing. Yeah. That's a talent. Um and so that's mostly what we're looking for in like a story That, uh, you know, kind of the cliche of ways of saying it is also like we're looking for a story we haven't ever seen before or a story that we've seen a million times that's told from a unique kind of director's point of view in a way we haven't seen it before. Hmm.
0: Do I premiere it first at a festival, or do I premiere it first online? Is a festival not going to accept my short because it's been exhibited somewhere before? How does South by Southwest deal with that?
1: Um, we and Sundance are very aligned, which is that we don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> so we want to play at South by, we want to play the work that we love, and sometimes that means that there's an animation that's been at 50 festivals and won a million awards, and it's the best animation I've seen in five years, and I'm going to show that to my audience, because it's very unlikely, even with stuff that online like something like uh there's a music video we're playing this year that has like you know 10 million views and so many people afterwards was like I love that video I've never seen that (laughs) you know and it's been online for like eight months so you know um there's kind of this perception that because something is available online everyone has seen it but that's just not you know there's so much content now that the role of us curating things that's the most apparent way that I see of like you obviously still need curators in the world because there's great stuff that's massively su- yeah. successful. And then, you know, maybe like four people have seen it in a theater of 300, which is surprising, but also cool. And also, you know, we just want to, the, the thing about it is like filmmakers that put their stuff online, that's great. And it can get a lot of attention, but South by is about the community of filmmakers. So bringing those people to have that experience, like why would I not want somebody who made something amazing mm. who's sitting at home in their house, wherever Mm -hmm. to not be able to kind of come and join a great community of filmmakers and like be a part of like the family that we have (laughs) so
0: let's talk about that then let's talk about what are the advantages of being in a festival once you're here your short's been selected how do you make the most of your time at a festival as a short filmmaker
1: I think number one you make a plan but be entirely flexible about it I think a lot of people really miss, um, not a lot because so many of the filmmakers this week have brought this up, but some people think, okay, I'm going to go to my screenings and I'm going to go try to do all the cool stuff and make like, have a great South by experience. But what makes it really great is actually going to see other filmmakers work. Cause so many people, you know, I talked to somebody who was leaving yesterday and he just called me on his way out and he was like, dude, I didn't even understand that I needed this, that it's like reinvigorated me and like inspired me seeing my own work be with all this other great work and kind of like to go out and keep doing it. Um, You know, more than ever, I feel like people, especially if you don't live like, or have, even if you live in New York or LA, if you don't have like a tight filmmaking community, there are people, we have several shorts in the program this year where they met at South by last year or two years ago. And I was like, wait, how do y'all know each other? Like we met last year at South by and kind of go on to work together and, lift each other up or help each other on things. Cause I think the South by vibe is like community and family and love. And like, how can you help people who are doing cool things with their cool things and how can they help you? Which just is not necessarily how you're feeling when you're toiling away on your project all alone in your house. Right. Um, So I think, you know, that it's more about just making this, the things that feel, you know, authentic. Cause that's really what we're looking for at the end of the day is like, tell your own story tell a story that is important to you and then tell it in the most like real way you can do it. And like, you know, every, you know, so many filmmakers, even this week, they're like, yeah, I made this in an apartment with a thousand dollars. Like you can still do that, especially with the technology that's available. And that's why you need friends. That's why you need a community. And, you know, going to any festival, whatever festivals near where you are, like it's never bad to like make new friends who could maybe help you make what you want to make.
0: I'm going to say, uh, That's true. And I've also heard like pretty much in every panel that I've been at this year, you know, the typical, you can shoot a movie on an iPhone now, Yeah. you know, like tangerine. And then they'll just say the word tangerine. Um, is that really true? Like, do you really think that a movie with such low or a short with such low production value, uh, could get into a festival of if course. the story was okay. Cause I don't
1: give a fuck about production value. Yeah, yeah. And also my phone shoots 4k man. Like, <laughs> I mean, I can't really, my computer is old and sad. Um, but uh, so it, I can't really edit it on my computer, right. but I can shoot 4k and like do that. So of course you can definitely do that because I don't think people know the difference. I mean, obviously like if you're shooting on DV cam, hopefully that's like your style that you're going for. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it is, or you can, you can buy a camera that shoots fucking AK for not that much money or borrow it from your friend. Like, Rates, it, yeah. it is, those things are available and, and that's, that's actually a really good point is that for me when I'm watching a short, like, you know, unless I can't hear the sound or, you know, it looks so bad that I can't see what's happening. Like, of course you, you know, because it is easy to make things look good and sound good now, but. Honestly, like I would take something that's like a little bit more rough around the edges or a little bit more like handmade, homemade or whatever than something that's super, super polished that I don't give a fuck about. Because mm. that's the problem is that there's so many of the things that are getting made. You're like, oh, it's so many films. And everyone thinks that must mean there's so many great films. There are not still the same basically amount, I think, every year to year of things that make my shortlist that I think are like great that I would love to show at the festival there is a huge, much more middling ground of things that are like totally fine, totally watchable, look good, sound good, but like I don't care at all. (laughs) I've seen this story 1,000 times, nothing feels good. Or it's also like, this feels fake, like, who made this movie about uh, a woman struggling with her sexuality. Oh, a 50-year-old white man in Arizona. That's not, that's why it doesn't feel right, you know, where there's still also these people who are like, ooh, what's a hot story? Like, ooh, let's talk about race or women's rights or whatever. It's like, if that's not something that you have experience with, like maybe let those people tell their own story Mm -hmm. and then tell a story that feels authentic to you. And, And they don't have to be huge. It doesn't matter, like... I don't know, you know, people are like, but what if it's too short? Like, I've played films that are like 60 seconds before. Like, right. if it makes you laugh, if it makes you care if you get some kind of an emotional reaction or like, you know, I'm watching films for eight hours and then I'm something comes on and I'm like, was answering email and because I watch everything Vimeo, watch later, I like just yeah. put a giant scroll. I'm like, okay, here's eight hours and I just let it go. So one ends, oh, I cool. answer an email and then I'm like, wait, what's this one that <laughs> came on? And I kind of like sit up and take notice and I feel engaged by it. Like, that is the number one thing that we're looking for
0: well you mentioned that you know you'll program a 60 second short but duration is pretty big in terms of the other way around what's the (laughs) what are the chances you'll program a 20 minute short into a program
1: if it's amazing and great and I love it and it's all those things I've already said then yes okay because it's it's the same as everything right like it doesn't really matter how long it is if I am so enthralled in it or connect with it so much like there's um a documentary short that's 40 minutes this year that's I think the longest film we're playing and and so many people have brought it up to me that they're like oh my god that film is amazing and I'm like oh it's 40 minutes and they're like what I didn't even realize um because you're so kind of connecting with it I think the main kind of takeaway in terms of runtime is like make your work the length that it needs to be to get it across you know like because most of the stuff that people are making that is between 20 and 40 minutes is like Bloated. They didn't have a real editor, or they didn't wait till they got to a more fine cut stage to kind of submit. um Because if I'm, watch- if anyone, if I'm, watch- especially if I'm at home watching a film and I'm like, "Wow, this is 20 minutes," but really, if it was 10, it would have been amazing. Like yeah. we're not playing that. Like the competition is too high now at this point to really have much room for those things, unless it's like just doing something that you've never seen before. But it's more like about making things the right length for the story you're telling. And also like, yes, when I played that 40 minute documentary, that means that probably two or three other documentary shorts didn't make it in. So I'm having to decide, you know, do I want this film or do I want these three other films? And for that one, you know, that, that one was so unique and engaging that, you know, it, it surpassed that. But you, you do have to think like your film has to be better than those three other films, or I have to be willing to support one filmmaker over three filmmakers to kind of like, to let it it ride. But definitely we don't play anything over 40 minutes because that's the academy rules for winning. So we keep it to 40 minutes and under and 40 minutes and over in terms of like the separation of feature and short. But almost nothing that I've ever seen really needs to be 40 minutes. Right, Like every year there's like two things I see that are really long that I'm like, that makes sense. And then every other one I'm like, well, you could have cut this out (laughs) and this was really long and like kind of just like... Where if I can see... I'm not an editor, y'all. So if I can see that it needs to be edited, then yeah. that's, that means you need to work more. Or let someone else edit your film. Right. Or let someone at least help you edit your film.
0: Yeah, work on it with someone. Yes.
1: <laughs> Don't work alone. My biggest piece of advice is not to care so much about what every single person thinks about you and what you're doing. Do what you want. Do what feels right. Also... Pay attention to shit. You, there's no way for filmmakers to, like, not be organized anymore. It's, like, figure out the deadlines. Submit as early as you can. Although it doesn't matter if you submit earlier. I see stuff on the last day that I fit into the program. doesn't matter. And um, just, like, try to be having a good time. Huh. And also, no. Okay, wait. Number one piece of advice. Here we go. Don't be a fucking asshole. <laughs> because everyone remembers... If you're an asshole.
0: What are, what are some things that an asshole would do?
1: Mm, an asshole would call and cuss out the receptionist at a festival because they didn't get in. Or send a really nasty email in response to the rejection letter. Or, um, you know, accost you at a festival and say, like, you're a fucking asshole for not liking my film. Or just, like, show up to their screening and in the Q&A act like they don't care. Mm. Like, the audience doesn't, like, mm-hmm. they came here, they're waiting, they want to see you. Like, act like you don't care. Or just be, like, kind of... You know, too cool. Yeah. Too cool for the other filmmakers. Like the most successful filmmakers that I know are the most collaborative, the most kind Mm. and like are ready to help anyone. And that means that like everyone is also ready to help them. Nice. And that's like how you get a good reputation because your reputation is pretty much like everything, especially now that we have the Internet. Not that the Internet also can't have lies, but just like. I know when someone's an asshole, like even this, this week, like someone I know who, who just is interested in a filmmaker that I have, he was like, Hey, I heard he like signed with this agent. And like, just so you know, like from my experience, that agent like does, has been not doing good work for their clients. So it's like ev- for anything in the world, whatever it is, like showing up, having a smile and being kind to other people is like generally good advice, but especially in this case, cause you know, like, if if you respond to your rejection, especially like this year, I sent a lot. I send so many personal rejections because we were. Guess what? We reject tons of people that we know and love. <laughs> so I send them a personal note, and someone replied and was like, "Fuck you! No one gives a fuck about what you do, anyways. Like just like you know, just like the. the it's definitely what you feel when someone rejects you, right? But maybe just like don't immediately reply with it. Maybe just like save a draft <laughs> or like write a little note about it and like vent it out, but don't send it back because, you know am I going to be interested in watching their next film? Probably not because that's not the kind of person we want to bring in and be like in our community. We want true blue, like sweethearts, badasses, amazing people.
0: Ah, yes, it's a crazy business trying to make your way through the festival circuit. But if your short film doesn't get into a festival, you really shouldn't let it kill you. That's because the landscape for shorts is changing and there may be an even better place for you to exhibit your work. The internet. Take it from directing super duo Daniels and High Stranger creator Kristen Lepore, whose rise to fame began with viral videos and branded content. I sat down with them in Austin at Vimeo's 10-year anniversary to discuss how an emerging filmmaker can find even more success online than they can in a festival environment. This episode is called How to Get a Vimeo Staff Pick with Daniels, Kirsten Lepore, and head curator Sam Morrill. What would you guys say that uh, that staff pick then did for your careers after it, it happened? Or, I mean, your your first staff pick since yeah. you have, like...
2: I think for, for Dan and I, the biggest thing it did was a morale boost. Like, we, we literally, like, we're just friends who made something, and this, like, stamp of approval and subsequent, like, comments and exposure... Uh, made us keep making stuff you know and and yes other people saw it and maybe it got us work but like that was the biggest thing
3: yeah we probably would not be working together um if vimeo hadn't just said hey this was good because that was just a test and we would we would just like do things here and there for fun together but never like it was never like a decision let's make things together as a directing duo until we started getting like Consistently getting attention on Vimeo, and that was that was mostly what the staff picks did for us early on, and then, and then once we hit a certain point, then it was really just like all these record labels were seeing it. A lot of these. Um Actually, in London, a lot of these ad agencies are seeing our stuff. I think um, for some reason, in London, our work really resonated over there, and they, a lot of them saw it because of Vimeo, and that was where we did most of our first commercials. Was just because people um, from London were like, "This is dope. Let's make let's let's fly these guys out there." Um, but which, most <laughs>
2: importantly, it got the attention of other filmmakers. We always like joked that like right, Vimeo, yeah. like uh, ten thousand views on Vimeo is worth like a million on YouTube. You know, as right. far as like. What they're come real viewers right yeah. 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 uh, the quality of the views so like yeah. f- through that community we met um animators in london that we loved and filmmakers david wilson and julia pott and uh My mikey please, please right. who introduced us to kirsten lapore who dan married so thanks vimeo <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> and i also have a really concrete um kind of success story from a Saf pick um, which was like very easy to trace, uh, which was that I got a staff pick on my CalArts thesis film, which is a film called Move Mountain. And as soon as I released it online, um, I actually had like kept it offline for a long time and then was trying to submit it to festivals and it wasn't really like doing much on the festival circuit, it wasn't doing that well. Um, and so finally I was like, oh, I'll just put it up online. And so I made it public on Vimeo. And then like the next day, um, I think it was like Jason Sandy that like got back in touch and was like, oh hey, we like we, we didn't know you were releasing this, but like we would love to staff pick it and feature it. And then they gave it a staff pick, and I was so excited. And then literally a week later, I got an email from the Adventure Time showrunner. That's how I got that project. Um, because he literally was like, I just saw your film on Vimeo Staff Picks like a week ago, and this feels like really uh, like it could go so well, like work so well in the Adventure Time universe. We've been wanting to do a stop motion episode. Like let's let's do this basically. Damn, that's yeah that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was a really crazy story. I was just like, holy crap, I'm not gonna like keep my film private like like <laughs> anymore in the future. like yeah. I will absolutely put something up online like as soon as I finish it now.
0: Well, that's something that like I think we should definitely talk about is when do you put a short up online versus when does it have the distinction of being like, oh, we gotta wait. We gotta wait for festivals to come uh, or like get back to us about whether it's gonna premiere there or not. Because I know that a lot of festivals uh, need that sort of premier distinction uh, to exhibit your work, which is kind of.
3: Honestly, I think Kirsten could talk to this better than we could just because uh, we're just we're not really part of the festival crowd. Like we were very much just like internet just. Our, you know, our e- yeah, our ethos is, like, make it, put it on the internet, make another thing, um, and so... Kirsten. I do have an opinion,
2: but I'll, I'll go after Kirsten. Yeah,
3: exactly, let Kirsten talk first. Okay. <laughs> Kirsten?
4: Um, um, yeah, I, I just feel like in my experience, yeah, I've done, I've done like, a bit of the festival circuit thing, um, you know, and there have definitely been some benefits that have come to that, but um, or come from that, but... Uh, like the benefits of putting my films online have always outweighed, you know, the benefits of the film festival. And I feel like even if we should just look at like the numbers game, it's sort of like maybe a couple thousand people at most are going to see your film at a festival. And those are people that are paying money to be at the festival. So it's like a really specific crowd and a specific type of person. And it's like a festival goer person, um, not necessarily like you know, a client or someone that might like hire you for work in the future. Uh, and then, yeah, when you put yourself online, like you have the potential for millions and millions, you have the potential for billions of people to see your work, like depending on how popular it is. Um, so
3: it's kind of style.
4: But yeah, you have that potential. It is there. It's, you know, it's a possibility and you could never, you know, you can never have that with just festivals. Um, but I also kind of feel like, I kind of feel like from the research I've done, and I was actually just talking to Max Porter from Tiny Inventions about this. He's, an, it's part of another um, um, animation uh, collective. Is, uh, is like he's, they just got nominated for an Oscar for their film Negative Space. So like they have a lot of experience in festival circuits, and I feel like he kind of corroborated this story that like there really aren't that many festivals these days now that are gonna t- like not show your film just because it's online. Like there are so few. I mean, I feel like one of them is the Academy Awards or whatever, but... I don't know. If they won't of,
2: nominate you if it's online? Well,
4: not not before you've had like a publicly like a public paid screening or some, or won an, uh, of, uh, an award at a qualifying festival. So it's still like a specific, you can put it on after that, but they have really specific rules. And then I've only encountered one other festival, which is like a children's film festival in Spain that told me I couldn't show my film because it was online. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, whatever.
2: <laughs> sometimes Sundance is kind of picky about it.
4: But they've still shown a lot, of, like, like David O'Reilly's films are always online and they always show mm-hmm. his work, I feel like. And a lot of other friends as well. Yeah, they're changing, yeah. They we are
5: actually one of the first major film festivals to loosen up on that requirement, and mm-hmm. as a result, a lot of other festivals followed suit because Sundance kind of cleared the way for everyone else to, say, to kind of ease up on that restriction and say, yeah. okay, if, if you're already online, that doesn't necessarily Negate your ability to submit.
4: And just to add something as well, I feel like like on the sort of viral tip, I feel like there's also some films that like really do so much better on the internet than they do at a film festival. Like I feel like High Stranger, High Stranger my film, like yeah. it premiered at South by Southwest last year, and it had like a had like a good reception at the screening, like it was fine, but like I don't know, it didn't make a huge splash or anything. And it really wasn't until I released it online that it just like totally blew up. Like it. it well,
3: actually, the crazy thing is. You released it online with the rest of the films. It was already online, and it got buried because it was with a bunch of films. It was a
4: forty-five minute. Exactly,
3: so no one watched it, and then you released it on its own like a few weeks later, mm-hmm. and it exploded. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. really fun to watch.
4: But yeah, some films are so, more for the internet.
2: Yeah, I feel like it, it's nice that the rules are getting relaxed at film festivals, and I feel like now it's more about the filmmaker trying to figure out like what's best for your movie. Uh, I feel like in most cases, I'm like an internet uh, fan, um, and then there's certain like dramas or art films or experiments that like festivals can make a huge difference in a filmmaker's life by like giving that stamp of approval or putting it in a theater like there's certain things that like are not very fun at home in your bedroom on a laptop but like you know it gets curated by a festival and suddenly you're like whoa like I I, I gave this the attention it deserved
3: uh, that's something that we started working on working towards more recently in some of our work a lot of our stuff was just meant to be for the internet but more recently like, trying to find things that can be shown with an audience because that's, honestly, that's the stuff that like got us into filmmaking in the first place. It's just like try, trying to aspire towards uh, that's, that sort of like confusing... Um, viewing experience where the person next to you can be laughing and the person like behind you can be like crying and the person in front of you can be walking out of the theater like that's kind of what we wanted to do and the, you, you don't really get that full experience in the internet because it's so insular you just watch it by yourself and you can stop at two minutes and if it's if you're not into it
2: yeah and only sometimes read the comments which right, is exactly. the community but right yeah 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 I, I think while while we're throwing festivals under the bus and saying <laughs> Vimeo is the way to go yeah uh, <laughs> the the counter argument. Uh, is or what's valuable about festivals now and will always be valuable is like that they bring they they bring people together so like I'm glad that they're not exclusive and still you know putting that stamp of approval on people and flying people out to whatever city and like the the lasting friendships and collaborators we've met at festivals is what we got out of it not like Gigs, right? You know, yeah, or, totally true. Know, yeah, like it's not you. Your exposure is like you know a hundred people, but like the real exposure is like your future wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or future husband. No, yeah, you yeah. not a <laughs> Or yeah,
4: or just future collaborators too. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the what's fantastic about being here
0: is there are there any like rules for making a short that will go viral in a way <laughs> short, yeah i mean make it short, make it short. like yeah.
2: the the, the barrier even lower yeah. you know yeah. like it's like yeah. if you're over two minutes it uh, better okay. be good yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Shit. <laughs> the
5: average staff pick is actually seven minutes long mm.
2: well Which yeah. is
3: interesting well vimeo is different than the rest of the industry yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's why you guys are special because yeah youtube's average viral video is probably you know like a minute and a half so right totally yeah seven minutes is like pretty intense yeah but that's what that's I mean, that's what the Vimeo crowd is looking for. It's, like, something very special and something that's going to be worth that time.
5: But, that, yeah, that puts us somewhere, like, in between, like, Vine and your average festival short. Because, yeah. you know, here, here at, at South By, I'm guessing that the average short in, like, the narrative competition is probably 12 to
0: 15 minutes,
5: something yeah. like that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so seven minutes would be on the shorter side for South By or Sundance. Right. Yeah. right.
0: Does Vimeo ever, like not include shorts that are over like 10 minutes for reasons or is
3: it
5: we don't we don't have it no that's just the average yeah. uh length but i i, I do is- think that Sorry. the longer the short the the higher the standard that we're holding it to. i see
3: what is the longest staff pick? Actually, do you have that in mind? Like the number, at least.
5: Um, off the top of my head, I don't know, but I know that we've we've featured a couple feature films. Okay. Hmm. Uh, this yeah, guy, yeah. Uh, Dean Peterson, who's a, a filmmaker out of Brooklyn, he made a, a feature film a few years ago that that we featured as a staff pick. Oh, okay, I'm blanking cool. on the name, mm-hmm. um, but people can just look it up. Dean Peterson. <gasps> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so there have been a couple features on on staff picks. Right. Florida Man was staff pick. That's like 50, yeah. 60 minutes, something he like saw that. Yeah.
3: Too. Oh, cameras. That wasn't staff pick, yeah. though, right?
5: I don't think it was staff pick, but that's on yeah. Vimeo on demand, and yeah, that's, yeah, it, and yeah, that's yeah. a full length, you know, feature film. Sexy stuff. So then, for
0: those longer shorts, uh, you say like a certain type of quality is uh, is looked for. What is that type of quality? Like, what should filmmakers be aware of when they're making their films in terms of i guess production uh, values sure.
5: i mean with 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 longer shorts it's it's gonna, less going to be a matter of like form or technique and more just nuts and bolts storytelling so like in order to hold someone's attention you know if 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 they're going to make it the full 20 minutes it's not going to be because the image quality was so amazing or anything it's going to be because you were telling an interesting story cool um but that said i mean people people watch staff picks for different reasons i mean a lot a lot of staff picks excel on like a craft standpoint and are really just uh style over substance so to speak um but then other staff picks are just you know really bare bones production but have a really funny point of view so like the example i often give is uh celio rousenhall's short the audition which is super basic it's just a, a single take you know uh, probably like a mini dv camera dslr set up on a tripod and it's just her and she's hilarious and and it's it's a really compelling video but from like a, a style standpoint uh
2: it's you know deliberately so it's it's very very basic mm-hmm. there's the possibility that we're entering a golden age of short film yeah. stuff like you yeah. yeah. so- <laughs> where like people like care a lot about content right now like there's all these dueling websites uh that want attention and instead of making ads they're buying shorts and being like, oh, no, no no come to topic.com we're buying shorts or like vice or whatever and like uh and so just the nice thing is like the job of the filmmakers to tell really good thing stories like just tell the best story you can and that that finally it's actually kind of viable you don't have to like think of shorts as a stepping stone towards uh one day getting a gig on tv you could um and the same with music videos like music videos used to be like sexy band footage but now there's uh uh i don't know there's a market for like no you can tell a story like tell tell an awesome story and that'll get people to listen to our music um but I can't speak to that because we don't make money that way yeah I mean I'm making that up
3: no but no it's true I think that that's like that's almost like a an ideal like right it's it's like a place where suddenly the the way that the landscape works uh, the the media landscape works is these big brands are paying you money to do whatever you want with it which is insane um, as long as they can put your your name on it Um, and that that's like you know like like you said Dazed actually paid for um, interesting ball which was cool that was like a like a small old, and little pockets oh and actually yeah right yeah, yeah. Random X that, that was, was, part was of that was um, BBC Random X Channel Four. Um, but so, so like like that kind of stuff. Like Absolute Vodka makes v- short films with people, and, and all these other brands. And I'm
4: about to do one with Belvedere Vodka. Right, exactly.
3: So yeah, where one. they're just financing a short film. That's exactly. Awesome. Yeah. So the, it, it's to a suck weird, up it's to a weird, weird
2: big vodka companies.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's, just a, it's a weird thing where like that's actually now uh, possible because you know for a really long time short films were just kind of like why did you do that except for exposure. Now you can say I did it because I got paid to do it and I can actually make a living off of it and that's awesome. Yeah, but we I made
2: like. 50 bucks. We made 50, yeah. Yeah.
3: Interesting ball was not a good example. We did not make... That was a a tiny budget. But um, in order to even get to that place, you do have to still just go the old-fashioned way of just making something and putting it online and hoping people see it, and then deciding where you want to put it so people can see it is just kind of up to you and up to the context of what your uh, your short film is. And for us and for a lot of our friends, like like Vimeo is still just the place where um, there's a very specific audience, and there's a very specific type of uh, person, um, and a lot of producers and, and executives who, who have a little bit of uh, power, um, they go to... Vimeo to check that out and see like what is what are the young pe- what are the young people uh, making these days and I think those that's like you know Belvedere vodka um, actually it wasn't Belvedere vodka it was Janelle Monet who picked you right Kirsten <laughs>
4: that's probably true but yeah. I mean Belvedere had to agree the, right the right right had to but yeah.
3: how did Janelle see your work I don't know on Vimeo probably yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so it, just starting out it it still it still seems like like uh, just getting your Your stuff out there is like goal number one and then from there you can it, hopefully it does well and you have options to be like should I continue doing these short films and uh, and trying to just do it on my own because that's also an option you can do that um, should I uh, you know sell out a little bit but at least get like a bigger budget I can learn a little bit more uh, have a bigger crew try things that I would never be able to do on my own um, and and go work with Belvedere or Taco Bell or whatever not that Taco Bell is doing original shorts yes. they probably yeah, sh- not wish. yet they, <laughs> should, they probably should
0: One filmmaker who has found success on the festival circuit is the multi talented writer, director, actor, producer Jim Cummings. His short, Thunder Road, won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance back in 2016, and in 2018, he released a feature based on the project that went on to win the Grand Jury Prize at South by Southwest. Here he is with several members of the producing team that made it happen Ben Weissner. Natalie Metzger, Matt Miller, and cinematographer Lowell Meyer, talking about what it really takes to be an independent filmmaker in the tumultuous present. These excerpts are from an episode titled, Don't Wait for Somebody to Make Your Movie, Do It Yourself, The Award-Winning Mantra Behind Thunder Road. Well, I wasn't going to lead with this, but, you know, you mentioned the long shots, how you did a series of long shot shorts. So I'm just wondering what it is about the visual like language of a long shot that's attractive to you as an artist.
6: Uh, yeah. Well, I always liked Alfonso Cuaron's movies and Tarkovsky's movies. I think that long takes obviously make you feel like you're present in the scene. There's no editing, so it's very difficult. Um, it's much more challenging, and I just like the challenge of it. Um, actually, Matt produced a feature called Too Late that has five single takes in it that are long takes. Uh, and so, I mean, it was just like a no-brainer to work together on these two series that we did of long takes. Um, I like it. The aesthetic is great. It makes you feel like you are like you are right there with the characters. And um, it's very difficult and impressive for an audience to, to watch. And I feel like that's lacking in cinema. And so, I don't know, we, we wanted to... I feel like you can hide bad filmmaking in editing, and you can't do that with long takes. There's something
7: about the uh, acting, too, though, because it puts people in kind of a theater space. But the advantage, even beyond live theater, is that you get to do a scene 12, 13 times for these bigger long takes if you need it. And by the time that you get to that point, everybody just has this rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal that you'd never get if you have to set up the lights 15 times for those three minutes of film.
8: And the, the, the adrenaline that's on set, when everyone is trying to make it perfect and no one wants to be the person that screws up that that long take, it's it's a really special adren- adrenaline and energy where everyone is just like, we need to make this thing perfect. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of special and it makes everyone like, I think it just heightens everyone's um, intention.
6: It's so much fun to like, get it. And then like, we all we, we cut and then we turn to the rest of the crew like, do we get it? Should we <laughs> like, do we get to watch it now? We watch it all as a crew and it's just like, yeah, oh my God, that moment's great. That
9: moment's great. And it's like, I think we got it moving on it's like this fun like sport or something you know it also I think makes every member of the crew feel that much more validated in in what they're contributing to the shot and like a live theater show it's like even the person pulling the curtain feels like oh man I got it I got it at the right time perfect that was great And so like you know we couldn't have made those shots without like the dolly grip without the key PAs locking everything up without the gaffer on the dimmer cues but you know, just like the first AC got alone like MJ yeah. crushed it so it's like, you know, every member of the crew just like like Natalie says just like rises the occasion in such a beautiful Way so that when you are behind the monitor it feels like oh everyone was it's a so part of this collaborative. Yeah, for sure.
8: And there's immediate satisfaction because you immediately get to see it and like and the whole film is there. It's it's that's kinda like really special to be able to like have everyone be able to see it immediately.
0: Yeah. And uh, I was talking to Lowell last night and I was kinda like struck by how you guys shot in how many days in 15 15, 15 yeah. days Four, 14, 14 and, and a
4: half, half. 14 yeah. and a
7: half yeah,
6: the day. producers <laughs>
7: <laughs> we had a wrap party for the other half day so you know that's how you thank a good crew That's
6: right yeah. That's right
7: And do you
0: think that um you know shooting with long takes kind of made it uh uh speedier in that sense where like you once you got the you could move on and you'd have a whole chunk of the film just like done and ready to go I, or? Yeah you speak I don't to think that
3: so I mean I Having done a, a ton of long take stuff, because I think every Vanishing angle has had it like Amir and Sam is like a 15 minute take in the middle, and of course, In the Family has oh my god, like endless long takes. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a fallacy, and everybody thinks so that they can be a quicker setup to do that. Um, but as Natalie said earlier, like or, you're doing like 15 of these takes or something, and so you because you have to do so many takes, it, it cuts away that efficiency that you might get otherwise. Um, I think what made it achievable in 15 days was the strength of this crew and the fact that um, Jim as a, a leader incites a certain energy on set and then there's a certain professional that comes with it and then there's a certain short of hand having everybody have worked together. And so, you know, the ability to shoot, what, like 10 pages a day sometimes? Yeah. is yeah. That's what it comes yeah, from. We've gotten,
6: yeah, we've gotten very good at it. And so because of that, it saves us time. But generally, no, like it, it, it's not... It, it doesn't save time very much on set it definitely saves time in the editing room like mm. if you're trying to do a rough cut of it you can just put this block in. it's like cool that's the first you know 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes because of we the because we had a
8: full rough cut three days after we wrapped this film that's great but I would argue that
6: it adds time and sound and, and color oh, for sure yeah and that's the editing Those, of the movie yeah. like yeah doing all the VFX to cover up like small things like uh, you know a wire that's hanging out of you know somebody's uh, Mike Pack or something like that, like all of that stuff that you can't really control because it's, you know, five minutes into a shot. Um, it does take more time, um, but really that's, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's less time on the day, but you're always going
9: to have that in, I think, in big movies. Well, I think what's funny and, and why it was made in the time it was is a testament to sort of like Jim's working style. Like Jim to me is someone who is like, go, 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 and like, like it's kind of like in your award speech you were saying like he just wants to make movies and make them now and like he will he will not wait for anyone to do to do it and like I think it it then forces all of us to be like all right we're running the marathon with the fastest marathon runner in the world right now and everyone better get on board and like well no 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 (laughs) but it's funny like for example I always remember like Jim on set has a phrase pencils down like everyone pencils down like we're shooting and and it and (laughs) you know it's there's a fun uh excitement to like how fast I think Jim likes to work and how we all sort of like kind of collectively uh, keep to. And, like, that that's kind of what helps us get through the days, too. And I would
8: also add to that that, like, the amount of preparation that went into this yep. film, like, we we wouldn't have been able to shoot it in 15 days if, like, Jim hadn't prepped it so intensely, like not only with just like directing, like in terms of like really like visualizing the, visualizing the shots, knowing exactly like where he wanted, what he wanted, when, but also like with his character and with like rehearsing himself to death. Like he was always rehearsing. If you if you walked into a coffee shop, you would see him in a corner talking to himself, just like rehearsing the lines. Um, and so and so he had every single little mannerism down, so that we would never have to redo a take because of performance, you know. And so and so that. that that really helped and he um, that that preparation made it possible. Yeah.
7: But it's a culture of preparation. I mean, that's something that like was so key in all of our department heads. Lowell just had like spot on diagrams of every room we were gonna be shooting in, everything like that. The amount of prep that yeah. our department had to make sure that when we got into a space, it was just, we were rolling it out.
6: Yeah, and, and like I think really like just the fact that all of our backgrounds are in production, and like we had four producers on this film and a couple of associate producers who were able to run and rush, and, and we all knew exactly how many shots that we needed. With long takes, you don't really have to say, oh, well, we should just get this just to get it, you know. So let's like spend some time lighting this. It was like we got it, we gotta move on. Like that's the entire scene. We knew exactly what needed to be in the frame at all times, and that's why we were able to do it in such little time. I think a special watch. special call to Lowe's Binders. <laughs> yeah,
9: <laughs> oh very God, meticulous I feel like note taker. Like I can never find them on set. I'm always like the old man like where'd I put my from? <laughs> What's in yeah. those binders? Honestly, the script, uh, right? Cuz we always <laughs> want to be focusing on that and making sure we're we're making uh, doing justice to that. But like overhead diagrams, you know, like the efficiency of it comes from being able to relay everything to the crew. So it's like making everything as crystal clear, visualized, so the key grip or whoever can just, like, look at it and be like, yes, I know what I'm doing. Cool, thanks. But I like the mood board thing you do, too, in them. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll sometimes, like, the front of the binder will always have, like, all of our reference images. Jim and I spent a decent amount of time, like, in the shot listing period just going over, like, what movies inspire us, what we want this to look like, so I can literally just, like, look at the face of this binder and be like, oh, yeah, we're doing that scene. We're doing the, like, you know, blue moody scene, or we're doing the sunny bright scene or whatever.
7: It's a playbook.
9: Yeah, it really is. Like we are, when we get to set, we're coaches and we have a team and we have to lead, you know, as well as make sure we're creative, you know, and and focus on that as well.
7: Because we had Brian Venucci on set editing every day and we had a cut of the film by those last two days, basically, we were able to add in, oh, we need this five second spacer here. This film is such a straight run through. By the time that you can see it, watch an 85% done cut by day 13 or 14 of production and then add in this moment, that moment, and you know exactly what it needs. It was like we
9: were always ahead of our pickups. And what's cool is it was almost like dailies, but instead of watching... Fragmented takes. You're watching an assembly of each scene that we had shot the day prior. It was crazy. It was really it was like so magical cool. and it something was so
6: cool. And to have like the crew come in and everybody's interested and the footage looks so beautiful on its own. You literally like have Brian cutting in one room and then we get off of set after shooting all day, really cool stuff that we're pumped about. And then we get to go in and watch the like the fruit of our labor from the previous day, and it works. And everybody's just like hypnotized by it. just like oh my god, we're making a movie. You, it, like helps, it helps inspire
8: people. I know, and people it's get great. Like excited and then, and then want to do even better. Like, And so, it, yeah, it, it, it kind of goes back into that, that energy and that adrenaline that people had on set, that natural momentum.
7: All the way through, I mean, we had amazing PAs who, at the end of a 12 and a half hour day, would hang out with us for four more hours just watching what we were doing because they're people who are trying to become the next generation of filmmakers and just having this ability to see the entire process happening in front of them instead of just having this be a person who you're sending on runs, this, that, or the other thing, but just like a deep respect that you have for every person as a filmmaker, as a collaborator. Yeah,
8: Yeah. hands-on film school. (laughs) Yeah.
9: What was really cool, too, is we used or Airbnb as one of our locations is Jim's house. So in one room, they're literally editing in a bedroom while we're shooting in another bedroom. And, and we can kind of like, me and my team could go to the editing bay and be like, wait, what did this scene look like? Like, how do we establish this? Let's just like look at the actual clip in the movie and then go back and keep lighting while everyone is so. Also, then again, like they're saying, like kind of hanging out as soon as we wrap we're, like, watching a new cut, you know. It it's really was, like, Non-stop. this amazing, like, familial process where everyone's just, like, hanging out at the, like, what we called the grackle nest. <laughs> that was our kind of home base. Even if it's not true,
6: you have to tell yourself every day that nobody's going to help you to make your movie. And you have to act like nobody's going to help you to make your movie. And the future of filmmaking is going to be people who do every job on a film set, and you have to get ready to be that kind of a filmmaker. And people come along and they help out, but don't listen to anybody that says you can't make a movie or you don't know how, you just have to do it
7: yourself. Thunder Road's the story of a whole bunch of people saying no repeatedly, and then 30 crew members saying yes. And that's how we got this film here, because we had a bunch of crew members who said yes.
9: And I, I think on top of that, train yourself to think that way and also work with people who also feel the same way uh because even though no one will help you there are other people who (laughs) want to make movies of in your in your age range in your you know talent pool who will bend over backwards to to you know follow you into the trenches because it's their film too yeah yeah
8: Yeah, don't don't wait i think Mm -hmm. is the key don't wait
0: but you know you won the grand jury prize at Sundance with this short and you told me that you still had to take like 70 75 meetings people telling you no uh how did you go how did you get through that <laughs> is there anything that you can like any advice you can give to filmmakers who are dealing with rejection
6: uh no i think you just did it i mean that hearing that story is like Oh shit, like it, it, these people couldn't even get their feature made. Like yeah. that's the market that we're in right now. Like, don't wait for somebody to make your movie. Don't wait for somebody to make you relevant. Do it yourself. Yeah. Like, it's 2018. This, this is a brand new landscape. Make something and put it on the internet, and people will like it. Yeah. Build your own audience. Sell directly to them. Run a Kickstarter campaign. We did one this morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a few months after the recording of that podcast, Jim reached out to us with an exciting opportunity for emerging filmmakers. He also told us a little more about the struggle he went through to get his feature made. One would think that having a viral, grand jury prize-winning short would be enough to attract the attention of major studios. But despite the fact that they had a whole 15 minutes of the film to show off right away, Jim and his producing partner, Ben Weissner, could not get any big bites from investors. In order to prepare future generations of filmmakers for this unfortunate reality, they created a short-to-feature lab in Malibu. Here's Jim explaining exactly what we need to prepare for in an episode titled How to Make the Jump from Short to Feature with Award-Winning Director Jim Cummings.
6: We wanted to create this lab because we didn't have a whole lot of help turning our short film into a feature and we had successful short films. We were doing pretty well and we were thinking about all the people who don't have that privilege and You know, we spent seven months going all around Hollywood trying to get people to help finance the short film of Thunder Road, and nobody wanted to for whatever reason. That's fine. Um, And we just thought that the market was stupid and that we should just do it ourselves. And so we did and had a little bit of success doing that. And we realized that we developed this toolbox to be able to make more stuff and now we're this studio and what about all the people who didn't get into film festivals who have great stuff that is just too long and couldn't be programmed or is just i don't know just not um perfect and so we wanted to create this lab for people to help them out in ways that we couldn't it was one of those moments um where you realize you're the one that has to do something like um we were like, you know, why you know why isn't anybody helping people turn their short films into features or like with this great short film into a feature? It's like, oh no, that's us. We're the ones that have to do that. We're the ones who actually care about this. Um Yeah, th- that moment happened for us, and we just realized that we could be making or helping people make ten feature films instead of just the uh, three we're working on right now. The mission of the lab is to help people and encourage them to make a feature film. It's a very daunting task and going from short to feature, you spend all this time making a short film because it's all the money you have to make something and you put your time and heart into something and plays a few film festivals and you hope that somebody's gonna be there in the crowd to appreciate it and encourage you to make something else or connect you to the right people. And that just doesn't happen ever. And we wanted to be that for other people. And so we created this thing. And hopefully, people will be able to take our advice and our curriculum and use us as a sounding board and also a Rolodex to be able to get in touch with anybody that they want and to be able to do it. I feel like. I was so timid for years, I was too scared to do anything, and I kept on waiting for you know, my ship to arrive that somebody was gonna find me brilliant and give me money to make something, and that just doesn't happen, ever. You have to be the one to do it yourself, and we wanna chaperone these people who have taken a risk in making a short and help them to make their dreams come true. The things that we're gonna be teaching I think it's just really going from ideation to self-distribution if need be. So we talk about the process of picking the right idea that you want to make a feature out of and how do you expand your short film into a feature, we've done that twice or three times now, and then going into production, finding the right producers, finding every juggernaut around you, how do you Um, tap people who are going to be with you and champion your project and um, become your family, become the summer camp. Um, And then through Facebook ads and self-distribution and um, not listening to the bullshit. I think that's the main thing. I feel like there's so many people In Hollywood and all over the film community that are trying to convince you that if you make something small and incredible, that somebody's going to come along and it's going to be like deus ex machina, something's going to pluck you up out of obscurity. You have to be the one making yourself relevant. You have to be making movies that are relevant. Don't wait for anybody. It's just – Mark Duplass says that so well. The cavalry isn't coming. But you are the cavalry. And I think that's what this lab is going to do differently. It's going to train people to become their own cavalry. I think the lab is specifically good for independent filmmakers because they're so close. Really, I think for independent filmmakers, you're able to make something in a backyard with your friends that's 90 minutes. And if you focus on the right stuff, if you focus on pacing and delivery and performance and story, and making something that makes people say, holy shit, I can't believe they did that, or I never thought about it that way, or I've never seen that before. Inspiring that kind of a reaction from an audience is something that doesn't really happen in the cinemas or at studios. They might have for a while, and sometimes one sneaks through that's actually quite compelling or moving or life-affirming. But really, independent films now have an incredible opportunity to provide stronger content than what the studios are doing. Look at A24. Look at all of these companies that are taking independent films and putting stuff that otherwise might not be in cinema, something that's rock and roll, something that's awesome and scary and cool. I think that's why this lab is good for independent filmmakers, and I think that's why the next 20 years is going to be incredible for independent filmmakers because Disney is buying all these companies and every movie is going to be just terrible. There's not going to be any real cursing in it, there's not going to be any real sex, there's not going to be any real violence, it's going to be so sterilized because Mickey Mouse is behind it all and they can't do that, but we can. There's great value in understanding every part of a film's life because you have complete control of your property I've met too many filmmakers who make something, especially features, and the feature-buying landscape, feature buying landscape has become so predatory, where they're bringing in young kids, they're hoping that somebody's going to have been working on a project for two or three years, they're going to be tired of it, they just want to sell it. And they'll sell it for an astronomically low price, because they don't want to have to think about doing distribution. But if you know how easy it is to do distribution, and that that entire enterprise of low-budget distribution or smaller distribution companies is going away in the next 15 years because anybody can do it through Facebook ads, I really think you won't get screwed. And I feel like there is just this market of people who go to film festivals whose agenda is to take all of your rights From you to take all of your films rights all of your ideas forever and they take it and they cut a shitty trailer and they make a stupid poster and they bury it and they don't spend the marketing dollars you can literally do this yourself and you can do it better than them why wouldn't you want to do that because you are tired of your movie I'm sorry this is what this is 2018 this is how you make movies now hopefully Attendees will be leaving with a toolbox to be able to make movies on their own, to make a feature film from soup to nuts, to go from ideation to self-distribution. So every step of the way, every every lesson that we've learned with no holds barred, like I want to be able to show people how successful our Facebook ads have been and like how we use targeting, like basically showing the landscape of using the internet as your friend to connect to your audience and sell directly to them. So hopefully by the end of the lab, people will leave it thinking not just about how they're going to make this feature film in the next year, year and a half, but also how they are going to start a company to be able to make more movies, basically giving them the wings to be able to do their own thing and, make their own projects yeah i don't know i I think really just like educating people on the new landscape of movies and then it's all bullshit you just have to do it yourself like don't listen to anybody that like or any gatekeeper that's like oh no you have to come in here and tell me about your movie and you have to read a screenplay and have a a pitch packet you have to have a you know graphic novel of your movie already and then i'll consider making it it's like you can literally say, no, fuck you. I'm gonna run a Kickstarter campaign and then I'm gonna own the movie afterwards and I'm gonna be able to sell it myself. If you can do it yourself, you don't have to listen to anybody when they tell you no. Hopefully, when people leave the lab, they will have learned from our mistakes and will be able to use the tools that we've developed and lean on us to be able to do it themselves. I mean, that's what the fucking Duplass brothers do. Like, They work on a thousand different projects. They workshop people, you know, these things that otherwise might not happen. They had two fucking doc series with Netflix. They did Wild Wild Country and, um, was it Psycho Genius? What was the, Evil Genius? In two months, something like that, that they released it. It took forever, but they made these series. Like, that's, that's what they do. They, they, you become a studio, like, and that's what I want to do. I want to be able to create 10 other people who are doing it just like us. And there's power in numbers. The cavalry isn't coming, and I know Mark Duplass said that years ago, but it really is true. Like, I, like we, we made this short film, Thunder Road, and I was only asking for financing to finance 77 other minutes of the movie, and we couldn't get anybody to help us, and we were really good candidates. I'm a nice guy. I'm enthusiastic. I'm decent to work with. I'm kind, and... Even we couldn't get help to do this thing. And that kind of made us kinda of like, Really? Like well what about all these other people? Like is the is the market oh the market's fucked. Oh really? Oh well that's that sucks. That's crazy. Think of all these people who are waiting for, you know, their their boat to show up and pick them up and carry them in out of obscurity to make something. It's like no. You have to do it. And that's what's great about it. If you can do it and you can do it yourself and you own your movie, it's a property that then you collect on forever. Joe Swanberg says that. Joe Swanberg says, I don't make any money off of one movie. I make money off of eight of my movies. Like, the guy made so much the guy made like six feature films in one year or something. Look at his Wikipedia page. It's insane. It's crazy. It's too I mean, I don't know how he survived it. But like seeing him do that is crazy. But that's a way you can make it. And like now he's directing all kinds of stuff. Like you just gotta you just gotta make stuff. Don't write a script and expect somebody to read it. Nobody's gonna fucking read it. Nobody's gonna read your script. Record it as a podcast. Even then people I, I send out the Thunder Road feature in this screening platform called indie.tv. It's really great. Um, not just because it's encrypted and all that stuff, but also you can see how much of the movie people watch and nobody's watching it really. They'll skim through it. Nobody gives a shit. People have other things to do. You have to be the one making something. You have to you have to build your own audience. You have to be making stuff that is cool for people and do it in ways that are better than what the studios are giving. Make something that's not sterilized. Show people what they want to see. Do the chaplain thing. Do the circus thing. Make people laugh. Make people cry. Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody to help you out because it's not going to happen. The sky is falling. <laughs> Are
0: you <laughs> no. <laughs> that's all for this week stay tuned next monday as we continue to count down our best moments from 2018 if you're enjoying the show please subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast platform you choose to use you can follow me on twitter at jim underscore john underscore jim and no film school at no film school we'll see you next week